Real Bad is part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. If you want to explore more podcasts about movies and nostalgia, head over to cageclub.me and check out some of our friends. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Real Bad, an episode that I like to call Real Good. Uh, we're going to be tinkering with some format stuff uh, to try to do some different things and be able to talk about movies that don't suck uh, every <laughs> once in a while. Uh, but I want to frame these conversations with uh, a, a theme, and this theme is about nostalgia. So we're going to talk about two movies, and let me talk about who's here with me. It's just a, a two-person show today. It is me and Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hi there. Thank you for joining me on this. Thank you for having me. And uh, what we wanted to do is we've got some weird scheduling things happening, so I wanted to try something different. And uh, there's a film that I've wanted to talk about for a while, and I think a film that you've wanted yeah. to talk about for a while. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and both of them, we didn't do this on purpose, but both of them came out within a year of each Ooh, other. Which is wild. It yeah. is, yeah. especially when we get to talking about them yeah. and how different <laughs> yes. they are mm-hmm. on, on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Like, not just subject matter. Like, right. they're just... So, mm-hmm. so disparate films, mm-hmm. but I think both of us greatly enjoy both of them. Um, at least I did. This was the first time I watched your selection. Oh, good. And uh, we're going to start with that. We're going to start with uh, some questions to you okay. about this film. So you are going to be talking about the film Victor Victoria. I am. From 1981? 81, 82, 80, let's say 81. 1982. There we go. 1982. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you... This is not a film like you and I are very similar yes. in experience with with film. We're similar in age mm-hmm. and uh, have a lot of the same touchstones. Right. This is not one of my touchstones. Uh, I remember the film. I, I am aware of its existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very aware of Blake Edwards, who directed it. I'm very aware of uh, Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of everything surrounding it. I'm even aware <laughs> of the cover uh-huh, uh-huh. because I used to see it in our video store all the time. But I never watched it until I found out you were going to be talking about it. So I watched it and I had a wonderful time. Okay. Like I, um, this is probably not a film I would have loved when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I love it now mm-hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons. Most of which is just Julie Andrews just sang her butt yeah. off in that movie. No kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we get too deep into this, though, can you tell us the general story of Victor Victoria? So what is it? It's a musical with Julie Andrews is the first way to start. But then how would you describe the rest of the film? Right. So the basic premise is this is 1930-something? 37? Yeah. 1930-something in Paris. And uh, Julie Andrews plays a down-on-her-luck singer who's got a beautiful voice but can't find work. Um, And she and uh, this guy, Toddy, Mm -hmm. uh, through a variety of circumstances, uh, he comes up with this idea to um, turn her into a female impersonator. So she's going to pretend to be a man who's pretending to be a woman and and put on these shows in order to sort of become a star. And in the process of doing that, uh, she falls in love with this, um, a guy who owns uh, gangster nightclubs in um, Chicago. and James uh, Garner. Who played by James Garner. And there, there are all kinds of issues in terms of their relationship because that means that he has to pretend that he's, gay in order to have this relationship with her who's pretending to be a him so it, so it ends up in this kind of there's a little bit of a farce quality to it a little bit but yeah. that's the and then that's the, and then the ironing out of all of those issues and uh, or sort of constitute the rest of the plot how did you come in contact with it <laughs> so like I, I'm genuinely because you talk about this as a very nostalgic film mm-hmm. for you yeah so where did it come from so 
way back for our younger listeners, there were these discs. And I'm not sure, do you remember these discs? They weren't quite laser discs, but you, there were these big giant, like they were the size of, of large records, mm-hmm. but they were plastic discs and you'd shove them in this machine and then pull this lever down and pull the, 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 the cover out and the disc would stay in the machine. Are you familiar yeah, with this? Yeah, I am familiar with are, those. Is, what are those? What were those? Uh, so much like, remember the... Uh, the, the Blu-ray and HD DVD yeah. competing thing. That was a similar thing. Oh. Um, I am not too well-read on those, but yeah, yeah. I do remember them. It's uh, competing technology. I here. think so. Uh-huh. I, I uh-huh. think so, because I remember I watched Police Academy 3 on, or 2 on one of those. Uh-huh. Over and over and over again uh-huh, when I was a little uh-huh. kid, and it was, and I remember thinking, this is weird because it's, it's a different player, mm-hmm. it's a different technology, but it's the same technology, so... <laughs> Yeah, something like that. It was so. It's, it was a dead end technology. Yes, <laughs> more dead end than laserdisc. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but for, for a brief window, this was a way you could watch movies. And my grandmother had a, a cabin up on a lake, and um, when it was a, and she had one of these disc players in this in the cabin. That's so weird. Weird, right? <laughs> and and um, she she and she brought me up on um, musicals, and we would go to the the uh, a summer playhouse repertory theater nearby. So I knew I was sort of infused with musicals from an early age, and and so on rainy days or in the evenings at this cabin when the, when you couldn't go outside, there was the disc player and like five movies at when. When, when we at the time that I first saw this film, and this was one of them that we had, Victoria, for, for reasons I don't quite understand, except that my grandmother loved it. And I was very very close to her, and so I saw this movie at a at an extremely young age, far too young to have probably have seen this movie, given some or at of the, least far too young to have caught everything. Well, I certainly didn't catch everything. Yeah, um, uh, but I was probably four or five when I first saw this movie, and 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 as you say, watched it over and over and over again because it was available. Yeah. Yeah. And it was there, and and so and so it sort of, as you say, there's a lot that went over my head in this movie. But there are there are um, uh, curse words or other sort of things that that I that I absorbed from this movie that then I would use at times that I thought was the appropriate time to use them when it was not at all the appropriate time <laughs> to use them and and yeah. shock people looking at me. So anyway, I, I first saw this movie when I was somewhere somewhere around four or five years old and then watched it over and over and over again for the you know the next six or eight years in the, in the summers. How did this movie, or did it even, talk to you about filmmaking? Like, how did you learn... What what did it teach you, just in general? Well, th- this is what's interesting is that until I was pre- prepping for this discussion, I-, I had only one other time thought about it in kind of filmmaking context because because it was such a part of my um, I don't know sort of sort of artistic and cultural DNA as a as a very young child. Right. I, I hadn't seen it with sort of filmmaking eyes. I watched it once in graduate school, um, and. And I and I think then it's so so then watching it for this and thinking about that I think it has has something to do with um, influencing me in terms of character, uh, sure. In terms of um, trying to trying to find characters who are um, at odds but not necessarily um, you're always trying to find character uh, internal conflict and external conflict within characters. Absolutely. And this movie does a really nice job of giving everybody internal and external conflicts that aren't necessarily about trying to kill other people. Which is the easy way yeah. to go so often, right? Yeah. So so there, there ends up being a lot of, there's a lot of sort of 
um, juice in the movie. You know, like there's a lot of like uh, um, alliances and and that's I'm making it sound too militaristic, but there's but but people people sort of um, are on the same side at sometimes, then opposed to one another in ways that feel very organic, and it is very very constructed. It is. Uh, I wrote down in my notes. It's rare to see a film these days, at least for me. I, I'm sure they're out there, but like I, I don't get to see films very often that are about partnership and camaraderie mm-hmm, as much mm-hmm. as this one seems to be. Mm-hmm. Um, like the deal between Toddy and Julie Andrews. It's funny. I can't remember his name, even though I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, and I can't remember her character's name. Yeah, yeah. Even though I've, uh, it's Julie Andrews, right? Well, but, Victoria. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's the name of the movie. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh-huh. I remember one time I went into a 24-hour fitness and asked somebody, "How? what are your hours? <laughs> and they great. looked at me deadpan for a while. I was like, oh. Right, it's in right. The... That's a weird thing with me. Like, titles yeah. often I see as more, like, branding. Sure, sure, sure. And not necessarily. Like... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, her name is Victoria. Victoria. Yep, yep. Um, but, like, Toddy and Victoria's relationship, I loved yes. how it played out it was just like i've got a business idea and she's like this is great let's do it well mm-hmm. she took a First little she's bit like this is crazy and yeah. then she's like this is great let's do it yeah. Yeah. yeah and and i loved how she embraced it yeah uh and i loved like that relationship is really i think a meaningful relationship to mm-hmm. me because we see like it's a it, i like that there's a love story mm-hmm. but it's not the love story is not between these two characters. Right. These two characters is a friendship and a partnership. Right. And I love that. Yes. It's something that I'm not used to seeing and it's different. And I mean, this came out in 1982. And so it's, you know, there's other stuff out there and there are obviously, and there was no, there's no triangle. There's, mm-hmm. right. you know, right. there's a complication. Right. Exactly. Between uh, James Garner and Julie Andrews. I think his name is King. Uh, King Marchand. King yep. Marchand. Mm-hmm. What a name. It's great. Um, <laughs> There's complications, obviously, yeah. and but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, it was a very relaxing film for me mm-hmm. on a lot of levels, which I'll talk about more later, but. Well, and that gets to another, the other thing I noticed in terms of the filmmaking that I think it that did influence me is that it's very um, thoughtfully composed. Absolutely. That there's a lot of intention behind the way the camera is used. Um, and, and, you know, there's a great sort of centerpiece song that she sings called crazy world where she's just standing there in a tux. There's no sort of like yeah. pyrotechnics to it. Mm-hmm. And the camera, it's the, the whole scene is one shot starts on this. I think it's a carnation on a piano and then up to her face and then circles her and you see the whole crowd out in the audience, then back around to the front. And that's the whole scene. And, and there, there, are, there are times where, um, he cuts, but also times where he holds in these long shots. Sometimes very funny things happen. If you know Blake Edwards, you know probably know the the uh, Pink Panther movies, right? Um, and my and so, first exposure to Blake Edwards, right? Definitely. And 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 so to have that sort of um, slaps to, 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 to slapsticky the physical comedy uh, play in these wide shots that so often is so so entertaining. So I I, I do think I also absorbed the idea of sort of. Um, intention behind how a camera is used there's a a specific moment at the very early end of the film where i had a similar moment and it's rare for me where i'll look at a shot Uh and have both it be like this is great storytelling but also say oh look what the director's doing Mm -hmm. there's an early shot where toddy and the maitre d of of shay louis of shay louis Mm -hmm. And a bartender mm-hmm. are all in frame. Mm-hmm. And it's as Julie Andrews is doing her first audition. And it's a wide shot. And 
the storytelling is obviously we want to see what the major D is doing. We want to see what Toddy is doing. And the, the bartender doesn't have an active role. He's just in the background. Right. But as a director, I'm looking at that and going, look at how each of these actors are doing very specific mm-hmm. things. None of them's taking away from each other. None of them is upstaging. It's just we're capturing this moment, but everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. It is simple but brilliant use of camera technique. Like, and, it, and the camera's not doing anything. It's just very static. But it's doing so much storytelling and so much character work just right there. And everybody, again, everybody in the frame is very relaxed doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's nothing calling attention to itself. It's great. Like it, and, and I kept coming back to that, like, camera moves in this film were so good. Mm-hmm. And so precise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. um, we recently watched a film on here called "There's Nothing Out There," mm-hmm. which is it's a terrible movie. It's, but I loved it. It was it was good fun. <laughs> but it was it, very terribly made. But I wanted to talk about a crane shot in there that it's like, oh, they had a crane and somebody who knew how to use it. But you can tell the director didn't quite know what the shot was mm-hmm, supposed right. to be doing. Right. Didn't quite understand that you know camera moves are supposed to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there's they, they have purpose as opposed to this is going to look really good. And it did look really good. Victor Victoria, mm-hmm. on the other hand, every camera move, they have these wonderful tracking camera moves yes. uh, in uh, on the street mm-hmm. where they're following characters and handing off character to character to character or into businesses. Just so precise yeah. that it doesn't take you out right. in any way. The purpose is to be following these characters, seeing what they're doing, going with them where they go, but also you know, doing what the camera does and adding, I don't want to say flavor, but but adding yeah. to the sequence. It's really not what I was expecting mm-hmm. because I know Blake Edwards from the Pink Panther. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of that is just let Peter Sellers do his thing. <laughs> right, right. Or at least that's what I think. Now I want to go back. It, exactly. I want to go back and I want to see what Blake Edwards is doing in those because maybe it isn't just Peter Sellers. Mm-hmm. Peter Sellers is hilarious in Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is also how Kubrick shoots it and right. how the other actors are playing off him. So maybe the Pink Panther, maybe there's a lot more to it that I just didn't notice when I was younger. And that's great because yeah. now I've got a whole lot of films <laughs> I can go discover, rediscover again. Yeah, I, Blake Edwards is underrated, I think, in in sort of pantheon of directors in, in the way that sometimes I think uh, Sidney Lumet in a similar kind of way, uh, sort of someone who made a lot of movies, who made some yeah. very successful movies, who worked with big stars. And often the star or the or in Blake Edwards case, the comedy would, I think, make people not look as closely at the filmmaking. Yeah. And, and I think uh, Sidney Lumet, I think to his own words, we talk about we don't want to see the director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we we're we're telling a story. Everything everything is about the story. Everything is about the the theme. Everything is about the the what the audience is seeing and not about me. He was very much about removing ego from it. I think, mm-hmm. uh, at least if his books are to be believed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, the, on the opposite side of that, yeah. I'm curious because I have some interesting things to say about my film that we're going to talk about. It's not my film, but the film that I'm going to be talking about. You wish it was your film. Oh, my God. Um, What did this film teach you about the world outside of filmmaking? And that's a big thing for me in in, as I get to be older, Mm -hmm. I look back on these films, especially the nostalgic ones. And I'm like, what did these films teach me about the world? Because... A big important thing to me is that media of all types, but movies and television shows are often our first window into education about history or about other people. 
And I think looking back on it, the nostalgia can mask some of that because it's just enjoyment Mm -hmm. or makes us feel a certain way. But I think there's a lot of important things in here. I don't know. Did did you feel like this taught you about the world? Oh, for sure. Um, the and one of the things was, is a very if you if you listen to um, Blake Edwards talk about the movie, or there's a great uh, commentary track on the DVD where Blake Edwards and Julie Andrews, who were married, um, yep. have a, a joint commentary track many years later, but talking about the movie. Um, and one thing that he was very interested in doing was um, uh, sort of sh- uh, showing. Um, gay relationships uh, um, in a much more holistic, um, realistic uh, way. There's a there's a um, the first shot in the movie st- after starting on the, s- the street move in, moves into Toddy's. Uh, I guess it's a hotel room he's living in, or maybe it's his apartment. And and you see this guy Richard wake up next to him. Mm-hmm. So you start with these two men in bed, and it's never a joke in the movie, even though funny things happen in terms of. Um, who's going to be sleeping with who and that kind of stuff later on in the movie. But it, but it's never it's never the butt of the joke that, that, right. that two men are together or that men dress as women or women dress as men or it's it's used... And um, this is 1982. This is 1982. And and he, he talks about uh, part of the reason he wanted to set the movie in the 30s in Paris is that that was a time at which and a place where um, th- these kinds of relationships were uh, much more open than they could be in other places uh, in... In, in history or at the time, and and sure. I think that that um, I know for sure that that was a what you uh, so sort of influenced me, um, you know, in, just in terms of uh, that seeing um, non heteronormative relationships as normal and loving and or destructive or you know like the the, yeah. the whole uh, sort of uh, pantheon of, of of relationship models are kind of on display at various times in this movie they with are various yeah. people. but it's not the the thing that i found interesting was like there there is a destructive relationship in there but it's not destructive because it's a homosexual right, relationship right. it's destructive because it's a destructive relationship exactly, exactly you know and and none of the relationships are perfect right. that they right. that they showcase there are some that are less destructive right right like julie andrews and toddy like yeah. the, that is a less destructive they create something together right and they're kind to each other um uh, their first interaction is them getting figuring out a way for them to both eat a, a lo- lovely dinner you know <laughs> yeah for free for free yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. great like it's and but yet even the uh james garner julie andrews mm-hmm. relationship is destructive mm-hmm. sure. and and painful at times even though this is i would say I would I would say this is a it is a comedy but it's mm. it's not a comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very funny. It is. <laughs> it's it's very funny. It's got a lot of wit. Yeah. Um but it is a dramatic musical, yeah. I feel. Yeah. Um and yeah, the other thing that I wrote down was uh and this isn't 100% true. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to talk about this, but I felt this was one of the first times I'd seen a film in a while, at least it, that was coming to memory where I felt like um, LGBTQ people mm-hmm. were not constantly in danger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that was something that like, I felt Toddy had agency yeah. and he was going to do what he was doing. He was not fearing for his life. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a point at which people think James Garner's character is gay mm-hmm. 
and they decide you're out of the 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 mobsters from Chicago from, come back right from the states from the states <laughs> come all the way over <laughs> yeah yeah uh, to to basically threaten him right and and to buy him out of because you can be anything but you can't be gay right 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 is basically what they is their say. implication yeah yeah you yeah. can anything you can be a murderer you can be right. anything but you can't be gay right um, and that's the only. Touchstone. I mean, they talk about it. Uh, King's bodyguard turns out to be closeted mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. comes out in a wonderful, beautiful sequence. scene. I love that scene. It's yeah. so beautiful. And uh, especially, you know, I say beautiful now. You might watch it. It might seem a little bit hokey now. Sure, sure. But man, in 1982, yeah. that was impressive. And yeah. and the, the honesty of that actor that he put into that was just, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Um, and, and King's subsequent, he has this, he has a, a speech a little later on. I think they're like, he and his bodyguard are at a boxing ring or something, and he yeah. says something. He says something like, um, "I, you, I thought you were a rough, tough son of a bitch in football player." Like this, the idea of 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 um, of, uh, of uh, sort of masculinity, uh, and you can't be masculine and gay is the sort of implication. He's like, "Well, no, of course, like anybody, like there's all kinds of 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 gay people. It's not just you, you know." Um, and in, and in, in some ways, there's a there's a he the the bodyguard implies that he had to lean into that in order to pass. This is yeah. a man who's been who's been uh, you know having to sort of deny publicly who he is, yeah. and to see that character who's always been sort of a fun character in the movie yep. kind of blossom because he ends up in this sort of relationship with Toddy in a way. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's kind of in this beautiful little little way that that it's uh, the the you know. James Garner goes through a uh, sort of transformation in the course of the movie that I think um, uh, sort of would have been familiar to at least think of think of the people that I knew who were my age as kids as we got a little older and that 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 would have would have sort of um, allowed people allowed some of those people a sort of avenue to follow through this movie yeah to evolve with this movie it also plays with expectations which I think is wonderful because you expect his bodyguard to be this bruiser mm-hmm. of a guy mm-hmm. and it turns out he's wise and, mm-hmm. and 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 very quiet and reserved very apologetic when he screws something up like there's a moment where he kicks down a door and and he realizes he's made a mistake and he's like oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry oh my god i'm so sorry yeah. Yeah. you know it's like it's a it's wonderful nuance because mm-hmm. he can be both, right? He can be a he can be yeah. a tough knock down the door, and also then very sort of um, uh, conscientious. About yeah. It. yeah, yeah, and that is you know, um, it was it was a very powerful thing to watch, mm-hmm. uh, especially knowing from when from whence it came. Right. Yeah. I have one note here that just says, "Wow, Julie Andrews sings her ass off in oh, this movie." <laughs> man. I mean, you can see this is, a, it's clearly constructed as a vehicle to demonstrate, you know, to sort of show off her voice and, and her, and her sort of acting. But, but there, the, these songs were all written for this movie. They're written for her voice. Yeah. Um, there, there were, there were, and they're, they're mentioned off her range. She has, uh, you know, she, or she had before, um, uh, she had a, uh, mishap at surgery, you know, late in her life that sort of, yeah. um, uh, lost Blake voice. Edwards talked about that a lot as like you robbed her. Yeah. Like he talked about the surgeons as like you, you stole this gift from the world. He was very, yeah. um, I don't know. They seem to have a wonderful marriage. I, I mean, obviously I don't know the ins and outs, Yeah, but they lasted until his death. Until he passed away. Yeah. 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 Um, but I remember when that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when that surgery happened in, I don't know, the late nineties. Uh, something around there. And I, I remember him specifically 
being very, mm-hmm. very upset. Well, and this, before that happened, they mounted a Broadway musical version of this oh, movie yeah. <laughs> in the 90s somewhere sometime. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe in the early 2000s. I can't remember. I want to say it was 97 because I, I just looked it up and it, I'm pretty sure that, it was that in the sounds, 90s. That sounds yeah. about right. So my grandmother and I uh, took a trip to New York. Oh, my God. From Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Which my grandmother had done t- from time to time in her life. She would go to New York and see a bunch of shows, um, given that her sort of love of musicals. But we went together. And so it must have been in the 90s because I was in, I think it was in high school. Mm-hmm. We went um, to specifically to see Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria on Broadway. Uh, and, and saw some other things too. But I, I will, um, it's part of the nostalgia for this movie is, is it was very close to, to this grandmother of mine. And um, she her love of this movie and 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 uh, musicals in in general and the time that time we got to spend together. This was before I moved to New York before before I was living there. It's one of my first exposures to the to mm-hmm. the city. Um, and and so I so I have I can say that I have seen Julie Andrews perform Victor Victoria live. That is amazing. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. One last note. <laughs> I have two. I have two similar notes. Yeah. The first one is the waiter. Hmm has my favorite face of almost any actor I've ever seen. He's the most put upon face and he's a waiter who serves them when they're trying to get their free dinner. Yeah. And it is wonderful. And I knew I recognized him from somewhere and I, I didn't know where he's uh, at least in one Clouseau film. Okay. Uh, and he's in my favorite Clouseau film, which is called a shot in the dark, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, which was my first exposure to Clouseau. It wasn't even quote unquote pink Panther. It was just right. Clouseau right. on a different mission. Right. Uh, and he played Hercule in, uh, in that and had some absolutely wonderful interactions Mm -hmm. with Peter Sellers. And I kept like the whole movie, I kept going, God, I know this guy. And then when I found out, I was just very happy, but then he comes back. Like he has this (laughs) small part at the beginning Yeah. and you think, oh, nothing, you know, that's the restaurant gets trashed. They're totally trashed. They're going to, um, uh, uh, put this cockroach in a salad in order to sort of not have to pay the bill. And then. Series of events, the the restaurant just gets destroyed. Yep. <laughs> and so then, so then later on, uh, uh, Victor at that point right. gets a job um, or a night. It's at, they're a night on the town or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And they go to yeah. this other restaurant that Toddy has. Uh, he used to work at. He, he used to, to work at. He got kicked out of because yep. he's also <laughs> he's not afraid of a punch up. Right. Yeah. Um, but he got kicked out of that and. There's this point where somebody they're they're at the bar and somebody just points and the waiter turns around and it's that waiter he's gotten this job <laughs> yes, here yes. and he's the only person that knows yes that she's Victoria right because he's seen them together the only time yes. they've been seen in public as man and woman yes at, 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 was that his restaurant at his table yeah, yes yeah. and now he's back yeah and it's a wonderful bit of yeah. uh, dramatic irony and just like oh god and it's like. Blake Edwards knew how to cast. Mm-hmm. He knew, you know, he set knew, up some payoff. Oh man. It just, and it's funny cause we've been watching so many bad movies that we forget <laughs> that, Oh, this is how a movie's supposed to operate right, is right. like set up and payoff and, and you're just be rewarded for right. something that was done early on. Because even though that scene was very funny and engaging at the beginning with mm-hmm. the dinner mm-hmm. and the cockroach, it, you know, it, it could have existed on its own, sure. but a good screenwriter and a good storyteller will remember, no, 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 right. we're going to take this thing <laughs> and we're going to bring it back so that there's more than just, oh, is she going to get found out? Now right. it's like, oh, no, she right. will get found out right. if this if X equals Y, then this will all happen. 
absolutely wonderful. But this also leads me to my only big problem with mm-hmm. the film, mm-hmm. which is The Private Investigator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a slapstick comedy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and about midway through the movie, yeah. they introduce this Clouseau-level yeah. yeah. private mm-hmm. investigator mm-hmm. who looks like he's wearing a disguise. Yep, he does. And if Peter Sellers hadn't been dead, I would have thought this was a Peter Sellers cameo. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Mm-hmm. But... What is up with that? Like, I don't understand why it's there. I mean, it ends up as sort of a joke. Yeah. Uh, the, the His whole arc. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah, there are jokes within it, but like, I mean, his introduction is a joke. He's yeah. sitting on a, a broken stool and falls down. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. his introduction. Yep. And then he goes off and he's supposed to find out if um, Julie Andrews' character is a man or a woman. Right. Like, that's that's the goal. Right. And he does find out, but then later it's flipped on its head and the police get very angry right. and, you know, ah, ha, ha, and and, yeah, yeah. It was the only part of the film that jumped out at me as yeah. like, why is this in here? Yeah. I, and I can I can totally see that. I, the, my nostalgia does not allow me to see it as <laughs> not not part of the fabric. And as a kid, I love that stuff because it's Looney Tunes. It's it's one hundred percent banged on the thumb with a hammer and falling off a, a crashed stool, all that sort of stuff. And look, I laughed. But, yeah, but but you're right. It does. It, then when you think of other um, Blake Edwards movies, it does feel. I don't know if I want to go so far as to say lazy, but it does feel as though he's borrowing from other movies yeah. in a way that feels maybe that that they, it wasn't fully integrated into this story as much as just, oh, this is a thing I can do, so I'm going to do it in the middle of this movie. I agree, because they did have set pieces of shenanigans yeah. in this movie that worked very well, right. where uh, James, Garner char- James Garner's character breaks into their apartment and then his bodyguard breaks in too, but gets stranded outside. Yeah, outside in the cold. Like it, yeah. it's not slapstick though. It's just yeah. shenanigans right. and it works. Right. And it shows also, it shows how much uh, James Garner's character cares for his bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he's right. not going to leave him out there. Yeah. It's, you know, he is going to get it all fixed. Right. But it's, then the slapstick character comes in and I'm like, yeah. what is happening? It's like from a different movie. It's like yeah, from it's, a different it's movie. totally from a Pink Panther movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that was my only real negative though. Like yeah. it's a, it's a wonderfully constructed, beautifully shot, Film. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in, in its uh, and the filmic qualities of it as I introduce the next film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it is well. I guess I'll talk about it now. I when I first started watching it, I didn't know when it was made. Mm-hmm. I just. Did you I, have a guess? Did you have a thought? I thought it was going to be late '60s, early '70s. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And as I'm watching it, visually, it felt that way. Yeah. And that's partly because it was filmed 100% on soundstage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it looks, it's lit like mm-hmm. a movie from that era. Right. It It's a musical in that same style. Like yep. that's the other thing, like a musical of this type to exist in 1982, little weird, not as weird as it would be now, mm-hmm. but it was a little weird. Uh, it it Because we should say this isn't a musical where people sing their feelings. This no. is a musical where the, the people in the movie are entertainers and so they sing. Right. On stages. Yes. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's like, I mean, if you think of another musical like this of that era, you'd be getting closer to Purple Rain, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and Purple Rain looks very modern to that time. Yes. It's very, yes, very yes. time appropriate. This does not. Exactly. I was watching even the color saturation, like everything about it screamed late 60s, early 70s <laughs> yeah. to me. And then when I looked it up, I was like, what? Whoa. Yeah. 82? What? Yeah. That makes no sense. <laughs> um, and even James Garner, like the presence of James Garner made me feel like, okay, 
70s somewhere in there because mm-hmm. he's you know i know he was uh, maverick mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know starting and doing different movie things at that point well and the great leslie warren comes out of the 60s, 60s oh and 70s, yeah that's as, right as young, you know, much younger then but yeah she's yeah. great in here though she's so good <laughs> and like there's the other character who borders yes like she's just on the edge yes. of being too silly yep, yep. for this movie but yep. she she's so she's good so charismatic in this movie did she get an oscar nom i think this? she got a nomination yeah, yeah like one best score but she, and she i think she was not she deserved nominated. it yeah. like that that was a wonderful another reason i love the limey to, to jump to another oh, movie yeah. that we love is that she shows up <laughs> in the limey and i every time she shows up anywhere i'm i, I she I was in it. an episode of psych uh, which is one of my favorite shows. Oh, right. Um, and there, which is a is a homage to one of my favorite, not very well made movies, Clue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Clue. I love Clue too. Um, yeah. See, this is where we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I love Leslie Ann Warren. I had a yeah. big crush on her uh, throughout the eighties, yeah, and yeah. I still I'm just watching her now. I'm just those that big smile and those big eyes, mm-hmm, and she's mm-hmm. just giving herself a hundred percent to this role. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, wow. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, wonderful stuff. I love when she's having this argument with herself basically as they're walking down the train <laughs> yes. tracks. Yes. Yes. Like she's, yes. she's, you know, she's walking with the bodyguard, bodyguard. Yeah. Yeah. But she's obviously having an argument that does not include him. Yeah, and he's it's just, he's just there walking with her. It's yeah. just wonderful. And then puts her on the train and he walks the other way. Yeah. The camera tracks with him and we see her inside the train walking, having the argument. We can't hear her now. She's just talking. Right. So it gets to the end and she opens up the door and screams something at him. It's wonderful. It's just so, so, so beautifully done. Yeah. And again, like this is the thing with great directors is it's so well thought out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like that is a big thing is like you do your homework anthony hopkins has talked about like the amount of time that you spend working on a film and the amount of money you would think more directors would (laughs) think about it Uh and like uh but you walk on set sometimes and it's clearly like they haven't thought about this it's like why haven't you done your homework yeah yeah like this is your job (laughs) yeah yeah and and you know and that's one of the reasons he loves working with kenneth branagh because branagh Love him or hate him, Brano does his homework. Yep, yep. And and thinks about things. You the know. Dramaturgy is thorough. Yes, in movies. Yeah, he's yeah, not. Yeah. He's he may make decisions I don't like. Sure, but he makes he he thinks I, I so totally deeply agree. about everything. Yep. Um. So uh, the last bit of inf- the last bit of thing. Yep. <laughs> that I'll ask about this <laughs> is about nostalgia in general. And you said already that it sort of clouds mm-hmm. a lot of this for you. But mm-hmm. does. Does any of it not hold up anymore for you? Um, I think that the opening title sequence is a little long. I would fast forward through that as a kid. I mean, we don't use to opening title sequences anymore. Just we like... just had a discussion about this, about another movie we're going to be talking oh, about okay. here, that All nobody right. does opening title yeah. sequences anymore. And then you see one and you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's why. why. Yeah. And I, and I do agree with you. I do think that the... the 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 I think they could have made some slightly different choices with the private Bumbling investigator private investigator but but I yeah either because of my nostalgia or just because I do think it's a really really strongly made movie I don't know that I would that I would change very much in this movie I think I, I like coming to it fresh mm-hmm. it's a very different experience yeah, for me right um, I I thoroughly see why you enjoy it like it's a it is a wonderfully made wonderfully thought out wonderful characters great actors. Um, and everybody putting on a show, mm-hmm, which is something mm-hmm. that I've come to really appreciate, mm. even in a bad movie. Yeah, like, yeah. If you're trying to put on a show, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Uh, the only things that sort of bug me about it are I, the, the the it's probably purposeful, but the 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 um, soundstage look uh-huh. to everything really, really took, artificial. It, yeah. It's really artificial and really takes me out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that's maybe a personal thing because yeah. there are a lot of movies that still come out that feel artificial yeah. and it just doesn't connect for me, but it does connect with other people. Well, I think thinking again of the other movies that we had on disc, they were almost all musicals and they were almost all from anywhere from the 50s to the early 80s and they were all shot on sound stages. Sure. So, uh, you know, I think- Well, you kind of had to. Which you sort of had to. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, whether it's, you know, Chorus Line or My Fair Lady or Hello Dolly or, I mean, all these things are, are, are movies that are, that are are artificial in so many ways. Yes, <laughs> and I don't mean like you know that as a derogatory term. I mean it's the artifice is part of the is part of the movie, and and some of them take good advantage of it. And I but I can see that 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 could be a barrier to entry to people watching it without you know, without it being drenched in the nostalgia that I have for it. You know, and again, I like I don't think it's necessarily a negative as much as it is. It's something for me personally that yeah. doesn't work very often. I am a big. I love more realist tendencies mm-hmm. in in things like that, but yep, yep. But my God, what a treat! Yeah, of yeah. a movie. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm yeah, glad you enjoyed I, it. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, I honestly didn't, and I love that. Yeah, um, yeah, I've had a lot of that recently. I've been watching a lot of movies that I had been meaning to uh-huh. to watch yeah. for a long time, and I pretty much without exception have been pleasantly surprised at every turn. Yeah, that's good. And that's it's good. so it's been a good couple of weeks. <laughs> um and this is the uh the I will quote unquote oldest. No, that's not true. I watched another film that was older than this and I still just like really enjoyed it. So, yeah, good times. Yeah, good. All right, we're going to move on now yes. to talk about another film called The Road Warrior, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. Um and uh, I'll do a quick plot synopsis Please. here. Yeah. The Road Warrior is a sequel, though we'll talk about that, uh, <laughs> how it exists as that and not that at the same time, uh, to Mad Max. Uh, this came out in 1981, so just a year before Victor Victoria. Yeah. Uh, stars Mel Gibson as a loner roaming the wastelands of... Uh, Australia, after some sort of apocalypse, it could have been nuclear, but mostly it looks like they've just run out of gas. Environmental in some way. Some sort of environmental thing went... Leads to... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Things have gone badly. Uh, (laughs) And uh, it is about him uh, and his awesome car and his adorable dog running into (laughs) uh, just, just roaming the place for gas, just looking for gas so they can keep going. Uh, he runs into a little colony of people who have uh, refined their they have their own gas refinery. And after a series of things happen that involve crashing the most the, the car I've loved the most in my life um, and him getting beat up, he decides he's going to drive the tanker truck to get them out of there from the marauding uh, hordes of people led by Lord Humongous. Um, and it sounds like a schlocky piece of action. And some would say that it is, uh, but I have a lot of very deep feelings about this film. So that's pretty much it. At the end, there is an incredible chase sequence uh, that probably wasn't topped until Fury Road, (laughs) Mad Mm -hmm. Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is an an amazing spectacle uh, for, you know, a two million dollar film at the time. Two million dollar made outside of Hollywood, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. made in Australia by Australians. It's it's really quite incredible. I want to say up front, Mel Gibson is a piece of shit Mm -hmm. Um, and stipulated. (laughs) Yeah, I I, am not. I'm I'm talking about the film here. I think it's a wonderful film. We'll talk about why. But uh, I don't want anybody to think I'm defending Mel Gibson from anything he's Mm -hmm. done or said. Mm -hmm. Um, He said some very despicable things uh, to people. Mm -hmm. 
and he does not get a pass right. for any of that mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. So I just want to put that out there. Yep. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the Road Warrior. Yeah. Wh- so when did you first see the Road Warrior? So I would have been probably about the same age as you seeing Victor Victoria. <laughs> I love that the Road Warrior is your Victor Victoria. It's totally my Victor Victoria. Um, I was very young. Uh, this was way before we actually owned a video store. Uh-huh. Uh, but my family was big into, you know, renting movies and stuff like that. And and a big sci-fi family too. You yeah, been... big sci-fi, big action yeah, yeah, family okay. as well. And so like my dad and brother specifically were really into like Schwarzenegger and Everything that was happening in the early 80s mm-hmm, was like mm-hmm. right up their alley. Yeah. Chuck Norris, like even if they were terrible movies, if they had Chuck Norris, my dad was into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I um, I gravitated to a bit of both. My mom was more of a sci-fi. So mm, I kind of okay. came into the middle of like loving sci-fi and loving post-apocalyptic stuff, but also loving the action genre. So there were a few that, you know, like, that's why I love the Terminator. Terminator exists mm-hmm. right in that yeah. boundary. It's an action movie and a science fiction film with a strong female character. That is just, that's you it. couldn't, the, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't make a movie. I would just, that checks all of my yep. boxes yep. any yeah. better than that. So, uh, the road warrior, I think I might have seen a TV cut. Oh, uh, at some point and became very interested. But my, I know that my dad had like a Betamax copy uh. And we watched it, and I remember being, like, beyond thrilled at that end chase mm-hmm, sequence. Mm-hmm. Like, it was incredible. At my at that age, like, sure. I was like, how do you even do that? Because, yeah. like, you know, there was no computer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything. These are, these are cars on a dirt road. <laughs> with stunt people and dummies. Yeah. Like, that's, that's what it was. So I was probably, I would say, uh, seven or eight, mm-hmm. maybe right around there. Mm-hmm. And it became one of those movies that I just always had on. Like I, I just loved it. It scared me. Like Mm -hmm. there were scary things in it. There were thrilling things in it. There were funny things in it. It was just across the board. Like it was a great piece of entertainment um, that as I've gotten older has only sort of grown. Mm -hmm. It's not just a piece of entertainment anymore. There's a lot about it that I find much deeper levels. I actually read a review by Roger Ebert, who I adore. I, mm-hmm. I think Roger Ebert had a, a just a wonderful mind for movie reviews. Yeah. And I feel like his review missed the point of the movie, uh-huh. even though he liked it. He he said a lot about it, but he was like, it's all about the stunts and, and fast uh-huh. cars. And I'm like, I think there's a lot more here that you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been doing that a lot lately. I've been seeing a lot of reviews for films that came out at the time that reviewers didn't really get uh-huh, uh-huh. uh the thing is another one that like got oh, sure. savage sure 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 and m- missing it <laughs> yeah like i don't know maybe it was ahead of its time or yeah. just you know wrong release i don't know yeah um that was not the case the um road warrior was a huge success um they spent two million dollars it made 10 in australia and then it made something like 30 something well, here the opening in the weekend i read was 12 million in the states that's huge which is amazing that is absolutely huge and it's called the road where its actual title is mad max 2 mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. because the release of mad max wasn't widely known in the states they called the warner brothers decided well let's just call it the road warrior uh-huh, uh-huh. and you know, which is actually something that's said in the movie, so it's not a ridiculous title change. Right, right. I actually prefer that title yeah, <laughs> to yeah. Mad Max 2. Yeah. Um, and that worked. Like, it got people in the doors. The trailers were... If you watch the trailer now, it's still a thrilling trailer <laughs> yeah. to watch. Uh, and it just became a part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. 
And we'll talk a little bit more about outside of filmmaking, because um, I think there's a lot that I that, that really sort of shaped me in this film. And yeah. it wasn't until this rewatch that I was like, oh, yeah, OK, <laughs> I see. I see where a lot of my outlook on life has germinated. Uh-huh. I don't want to say it's 100 percent responsible. Sure, sure. Because I've I've ingested a lot of media and I've thought about the world a lot. So right. there's and you've lived and you've met I've lived. And and you, yes, yeah, yeah. I've had life experiences, but like <laughs> yeah. there's a. There's a big part of this. I also recently watched Romero's Day of the Dead. Mm. Um, and I even tweeted about it where it's like, I think Romero and I agreed a lot about humanity. Mm-hmm. And, and and I feel similarly to George Miller, uh, who directed Road Warrior, Mad Max, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and Mad Max Fury Road. He did. I don't. That man did not have any business making Mad Max Fury Road as good <laughs> as it was. No. 70 years old. And he made an action movie that was better than anything that had been around in a decade or more or more. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that is an incredible movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess one of the big questions is like, is, which is better the road warrior or oh, fury road? Yeah. Uh, I think fury road is a better movie. Uh-huh, uh-huh. My heart lies with the road warrior though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, so, so I'm curious then because I, I didn't see this movie. So when I went to film school, I was just out of college, just 22 or three or whatever. And we got a list of movies we should watch before we got to film school. And there was too many movies to see. I mean, it was 100 <laughs> or some, 130. I, I get the sense that over years that people just added movies to this list. Sure, yeah. And, and, I, and so uh, so I watched as many of them as I could at that same cabin where I watched Victoria <laughs> over over a summer, renting as many DVDs as I could find. Um, and one of them was Road Warriors, the first time I'd ever, I'd ever seen it. That oh, was on that the was list. part of the list. That's great. Part of the list, uh, the Road Warrior and the Accused. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a wacky, wacky list. It's a very eclectic group of yeah. Movies. So, so I didn't see it until I was in my twenties. I had, I mean, maybe caught a little bit of on a little bit of it on TV, but I, I, you were aware of it though. But I was aware of it. and I knew who Mad Max was, and I'd seen Thunderdome, or I can't oh, remember which one. Thunderdome, Beyond Thunderdome, yeah. uh, the, the goofiest. Is that the, is that the of Tina all Turner them. one? Yep. Okay, so that one I'd seen. <laughs> plus the music video, like I knew, yeah. I was familiar with the, the character, and but I had never actually seen the movie. And I remember being, as I was when I rewatched, rewatched this week, sort of riveted by. I mean, you once you start this movie, you I dare you to stop. <laughs> right. Like it just for all kinds of reasons, but which gets to me to this question that that you'd asked me that I want to ask you as well, because part of that is. A lot of that is the filmmaking itself. So what yeah. in terms of the filmmaking, what in terms of what George Miller did with this movie has influenced you or have you have you found sort of changed either the way you make films or the way you sort of think about films? So there's a couple of interesting things that happens. It happens in stages for me. When I first saw it, I think the first filmmaking thing that it taught me about was stunt work mm. and sure. just how important like because I saw this probably after I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Probably. They were probably around the same time. But even in here, like, I remember watching it and going, how did they not die? Yeah, yeah. Like, there were some, and, you know, they were probably not as safe as they were (laughs) on Raiders. But I remember very viscerally as a kid going, like, that's a job. Yeah, yeah. You you can get a job being a stunt person. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, And something that developed a little bit later than that was watching it and understanding the power of the cut. And I think George Miller understands editing very. I think in order to be a, a competent action film director, um, unless you're going to do long takes with a lot of you know really complicated camera moves, I think you have to understand editing. And there's a lot in here that even at a young age, I went, "Oh, they hid that with the cut. That's mm. brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like that's really smart." Mm-hmm. And that carried over in, into thinking about drama and thinking about character interactions. Like it's the power of that cut. Mm-hmm. 
it can be a tool to just, you know, show you new information, but it can also be a tool to hide something mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. to mask something you don't want people to see. And because people are hopefully riveted by what's happening on screen, they're not thinking of that cut. They're not thinking of it as like, there the editor made a cut. Uh, but I watched it so much. And like, as I'm sure you know, the more you watch something, the more you pick up on little yeah, things. Course, and yeah. I remember as probably even preteen when I was watching it going like, oh, they cut. And they went from real person to dummy, uh, but you don't notice that uh, when you're, if you're just watching, just watching if, it. Yeah, yeah, if you're just yeah, watching yeah. it. So that became that. As I got older, I, I watched it when I was in grad school because I was trying to make, I was trying to, I, I still am. I've actually shared some pages of the script with you that I'm trying to make a film that is kind of like a Western version of Mad Max. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a stranger rolls into town and they're very, you know, singular and, and very dangerous. Uh, and then they become embroiled in the town's world right, and right. their world also becomes part of the town's world. So, but I was watching The Road Warrior and I became aware of how George Miller filmed it. And like lens choices and camera angles to make you feel the speed of these mm-hmm. cars. Mm-hmm. It's like a super wide angle lens mm-hmm. right down, right up, in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. right up in the grill of the car, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, low on the ground. And man, you feel it like yeah, yeah, you, yeah. it feels dangerous. It feels dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It feels yeah. Like, like out of control. Like yeah. Almost out of control. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels yeah, yeah. completely out of control. Yeah. And, um, that became a big thing to me, not because I wanted to do exactly that, but mm-hmm. because I was I became more aware of like, OK, this is how this director is manipulating this, the images to make me feel things. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing for me, like even going through film school, like I think once you f- once I finally see it in in practice mm-hmm. is when it finally clicks, because mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. talk a lot about theory. And, sure, sure. And how it works. And then I became even more aware of it when you find and I'm this is not uh, poo pooing Michael Bay, because I think Michael Bay has a really smart visual style. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of his stuff, I just think he can't pick great scripts mm-hmm. is his biggest problem. <laughs> um, but he uses the opposite, like he does a long lenses yeah. to sort of compress everything, yeah. which has its own effect yeah. and, yep. and can work very well. But I was used to that mm-hmm. and I was not used to. And so I was like, why does this feel so different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is different about this? And it was like uh, Al Pacino talked about this in working with Christopher Nolan on a film called Insomnia mm-hmm. that Pacino had gotten used to working with directors who work with long lenses. So the close ups were still 20 feet away. Yeah. The camera was 20 feet away from him. Right, right. But. Nolan uses wide lenses and gets the camera right up on you. Right. And it's a very different experience. And Pacino was like, I was not used to that. And so he's like, I had all of the tricks that I had learned for working with long lenses right. didn't work anymore. Right. So I had to learn how to act again. And it was and and stuff like that, like the way the action sequences are shot, the way they're cut, the way they're scored, the way like and the way they're performed. Mm-hmm. It, it, it unlocked a lot of the mystery of filmmaking. And I think a lot of people say, oh, you watch an action film to learn how to make action films. But I think you can watch an action film to learn how to make a dialogue sure, scene. Sure, absolutely. Work better, like, or or work differently. Mm-hmm. And that was the big thing for me. Like, I, I became more on that film, more yeah. so than, like, any other film. And maybe it's because everything was so brazen uh-huh, in uh-huh. there. Like, yeah. the, the Road Warrior is a very brazen film. Sure, sure. But, like, even... There's this wonderful uh, dialogue scene between the leader of the the good guys, the camp, and Max. Mm-hmm. 
And Max only has like 14 or 15 yeah, lines in this movie. Very he says very movie. little, yeah. but I, you know, there's a reason that Mel Gibson went on to stardom. Like he is very good, absolutely, on camera, and and he holds those close-ups. He really does. Really, yeah, yeah. And he's always, again, like a good actor is always giving you stuff. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, he's mm-hmm. always giving, yep, and yep. it's it's really amazing to watch. So, but even the way the dialogue scenes are constructed, again, there's a lot of thought put into it. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the budget. Miller didn't have the budget or the resources that Blake Edwards did. Right. But you can tell even in his static shots that like, no, we've got to shoot it from here. Mm-hmm. It's got to be lit X, Y, Z. This is how we're doing it. Right. And right. and it makes sense and it works. And yeah, I just it, it just unlocked so much for me. Yeah. In a way that almost no other film ever has. Yeah. Uh, even to this day, like I can watch a lot of Kubrick films. I can watch a lot of Spielberg films. I can watch a lot of uh, Kislovsky films. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a mystery uh-huh, uh-huh. to why they work. <laughs> yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Like, I love that. I yeah. love that. I don't know why yeah. 2001 works as well as it does. Right, right. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. But it, it does. It should not work. <laughs> Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark should not work. Right. Also. Right. But they do. And that's great. And yeah, you know, you can probably pick and pull things here. But I think the great thing about The Road Warrior from a filmmaker standpoint is you can look at it and go, that's why that's working. Yep, yep. Look at how this is shot and look at how this leads into the next scene and the next scene and the next scene. Mm-hmm. Apart from hero's journey, apart from screenwriting, yep, apart yep. from any of that, just the nuts and bolts of how this film was made and how it was put together is both brilliant, but also quite obvious. Yeah. And I love that. There's a, the, a lot of stuff was written when road Warrior came out about how, um, he, George Miller wanted to make it like it could be a silent movie. Yes. And this is exactly that. I oh, mean, yeah. th- you, you could turn off the dialogue in this movie and, and you would not miss any, well, you'd miss some tiny little things, but you would get so much more than from so many movies Yeah, because of the way as uh, the, I had in my notes, that same thing that he has this, he's, he seems to be a filmmaker who has in from an early, early age has an intuitive understanding of shot and its relationship to cut and yes. the way that those two things go together to, to create all kinds of effects. Um, the, oh, yeah. It reminds me of watching uh, on another uh, podcast I'm on sometimes called Cinemakers, where we went through all of Steven Soderbergh's movies. Um, <laughs> well, and, not all of them yet. We did Unseen? Yeah, we've done Unseen. Oh, Unseen. Yep, yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to make two more. Uh, in the well, next yeah, one's in the can, so oh, uh, we've okay. got more coming. But but he, f- from the from the very first movie, he had that that a similar kind of thing where he he just sort of speaks film. Yeah, he seems to just speak film and fluently from from the, from the get go. In the in this in a similar way uh, to George Miller, it feels like. So I can see that I can I can totally see how that would influence, as you say, not just how to make a Mad Max movie, but how to make all kinds of other movies. Because what he's showing you are the tools yeah. and the effects of those tools in a way that is that is clear. Which is not to say it's at all bad. In fact, it's it's um, brazen is such the right word. I, I'm I'm glad you found that word because it did it did feel that way. Yeah, and uh, you know, and you can. Look Look at his other films in different media and, you know, because he did Babe Pig in the City. Happy Feet. Happy Feet. Mm-hmm. Like it's it all relies on those same things. Absolutely. You yeah. Know, it yeah. relies on the idea of what the shot is doing yeah. and how that shot then relates to the next shot. Exactly. You know, exactly. and that that's filmmaking. Yeah. And yeah, there's a great uh, talking about a silent film. There's a great moment between Max and the feral child. Mm-hmm. Who's this. amazing. I totally forgot he, that there was a fair yeah. child in this movie, but I love this kid. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll come back to him in, okay. a, in a little okay, bit, okay. Uh, but there is an exchange between them because the feral kid can't speak. Mm-hmm. And Max has this little music box yeah. and he's playing the music and the kid is transfixed yeah. by it. But their entire 
It's a conversation mm-hmm. that has no dialogue. Exactly, exactly. But you understand exactly what's happening. So it's all performance. It's all camera angle. And it's, time and pacing. And, and pacing. Yeah, and like, yeah. and knowing when to cut and yep. when you need whose reaction for what. And it's, it's so good. It's so good. It's, so good, it's yeah. like it's hard to talk about this movie without going. It's so good. But it's true. It is. Like there is um and there are some things we'll get to that I don't think work anymore, but sure, sure. you know, but but that these the skill of Miller in this and he was not a trained filmmaker. He was Oh, a, really? No, I don't know anything about his background. He was an emergency room doctor. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> that blows my mind. And, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, and he uh made a short film and then got enough funding to make the first Mad Max. Um got the chance to go to Hollywood and tried to make a film. Oh, I think I can't remember what it's called. It was just the a woman's name. Uh, and it all fell apart. And then he came back to Australia to make Mad Max two after that. And he's just sort of, yeah, (laughs) he's just sort of worked in the industry, uh, as a, as a really good working director. And then occasionally makes these just like cinematic bombs that just, just detonate, just detonate. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he he knows from trauma then, I mean, there's a, there's something about that recklessness or that danger that sort of hovering on the edge of falling apart. Yeah. That I think he that's maybe I'm now I'm reading into it, but I could see that sort of coming out of some of his experience. I think that's fair. I, I, I do. I think we all take with us, you know, we'd have to, right? We'd I have mean, to. If, yeah. And I feel like that is a particularly traumatic job. Yeah. Like yeah. that is a that is, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know I am not built for that. Thank no, you very much. <laughs> no. And I think there's great strength in knowing what you're not built for. And that's what I'm I'm not built for. That. Yeah. 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 Now that we've sort of thought about that what 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 does this movie teach you outside of filmmaking this is really weird so there are two things okay the first is the most obvious i think which is this film as especially as a kid Mm -hmm. i was not used to seeing action films where there are consequences for the action Uh uh-huh that's something and maybe it goes back into this idea of George Miller coming from the world of medicine mm-hmm. and, and emergency specifically right. and bodies, like yeah, bodies yeah. And, and death <laughs> and, and, trauma, and, yeah. and consequences for what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two, like there's a, you know, a car crash where Max gets just messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, and oh, he yeah. is, yeah. and even at the beginning of the film, he is a mess from something that we haven't talked about that I'll, I want to talk about after this mm-hmm. is the fact that I didn't know this was a sequel when I first saw oh, it. Oh, interesting. So yeah. I just, yeah, but, but we'll, we'll come back to some that. design, but yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. but like he's got the leg brace uh-huh. that squeaks uh-huh. Uh-huh. as he walks. He's, you know, got a streak of been gra- through stuff. He has and it shows obviously on his body. been, yeah. through, there have been consequences yeah. Yeah. Right. to what he has lived through. Right. And then, you know, the, the car crash messes him up really badly and he's messed up for the rest of the, yeah. the film at that point. I mean, it's, we're teetering on the third act at that point, but yeah. still, he's a mess. This is not a Hollywood Schwarzenegger rolls out of the car like, oh, I've got banged my head, right. you know, like brush he, off the dust. And yeah, move on. no, yeah. he is. He is. And the car is toast yeah. Yeah. like yeah. after that. <laughs> the the other thing is the feral kid uses a boomerang mm-hmm. and the boomerang is metal mm-hmm. uh, and it cuts and um there's a moment where the main villain's Toady, mm-hmm. uh, who wears a squirrel hat. It's a really weird. It's crazy. It's yep. crazy, and I love it. Uh, the boomerang goes flying through the air, and the Toady is like, I got it, I got it. And he doesn't understand that the feral kid has a glove that's mm-hmm. like, uh, um, what do you call it? Like chain mail? Chain mail, some kind. Like yeah, chain yeah, mail, yeah. so his, yeah. his hand is protected. protected. Yeah. And the Toady reaches up, and it slices his fingers yep. off. yep. Now, it's played a little bit for laughs, mm-hmm. a little bit, because all of the bad guys are, ah, ha, ha, right, ha, right, ha, right. you idiot. Right. But if you pay attention to the performance, 
he kneels down, grabs his hand, and is like, I'm reading all kinds yes, of like yes. sadness, shame, grief, grief. <laughs> like this is bad. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he has lost, like there are consequences. Yep, yep. To in this world, right? This right. is not a soft world. Right. There's where, nowhere to go to f- people to sew that back on. No. There's no, put that on ice and take it somewhere. Like no, it, it's it is your body breaks. It's broken. It's broken. Yeah. And you, yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Once it's broken, it's broken. It can't be fixed. Yep. And I think that really stuck with me for mm. better for worse. I think both in life and just thinking about it in storytelling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really gravitate to characters who carry scars, both mental and physical. And I, I, I. I like that on screen as well as um, in what I try to put out into the world. Yeah, I like the I, I, I don't I shouldn't say I like it because it's it's horrifying, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. And I think this film is where that came from. Yeah. Interesting. I think this film is like the idea of like there because even when the good guys try to do something and it fails, there are serious consequences yeah, yeah. in this film. It's not like, oh, we run out and then we have a chase and then we all come back. Yeah. No, you don't get to come back. Right, right. If you mess up, That's it's, it. it's it. Yeah. And that is a big deal to me. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I, I had a note um, somewhat similar that one thing that Jeremy Miller seems to understand is, uh, or, or, or to gets across is what the sort of lack of vanity people would have in a post-apocalyptic world <laughs> yeah. or a different kind of vanity where the squirrel hat is going to be your van or, you know, like, yeah, but, but, you know, people are dirty mm-hmm. and, and, and as you say, scarred and, and no one is sort of seems to be worrying so much about that. Like there's no, you know, a lot of our sort of current post-apocalyptic stuff will very often have, well, they've made new uniforms. They made, or, or, you know, there's some, some kind of, yeah. there's, and, and he's not, and maybe partly you could say, well, I guess someone might argue that budget was partly that, but you look at Fury Road and it's the same thing where, where right, you there, can is tell. No, there is no vanity or there's different kind of vanity in a post. It's a thoroughly thought out world. The consequences yes. of this world on the characters and the story are, are thorough in, yeah. the, in the way they've been thought And out. you can tell that, you know, you can tell there's more money behind Fury Road right. in the costumes and yes. everything. That's true. But the overall tone is the same. It's the same. Yep. It's the yep. same idea. Same he, he's, yeah. you know, there, there is a definite idea of this world yeah. and what it, and what everything means. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think there is, we're not worried about a lot of things. I love that the, uh, they call him the engineer. Uh, he's the guy who's paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that. It's never, it's never drawn attention nope. to, it's just that's that's life. Yep. You know that's that's who he is. And that's, he's a great harness crane, sort of. Yeah. You know, moves him around and yeah. But yeah. It's never. It's as you say. It's it's never commented on. It's sort of you catch it as it goes. Oh wait. Is that, oh yeah. Oh, but by the third shot, I'm like, oh, I see what's going on. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there was that. Then there's this other side of things, which is my nihilist tendencies. Um, <laughs> a lot of people think nihilism is is inherently negative. Uh-huh. I don't. I think the one thing that this film, and I don't know if this was necessarily the lesson it was trying to teach, but something I took away from it was that this the world that they're in, this is a cautionary tale. Like that's what this movie is. It's a cautionary mm-hmm. fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The world's done. Yeah. Like it is not coming back. Like this is, it's over. That's how I took it as a kid. Like there wasn't hope. Yeah. There was no hope for us to, all that mattered in this was each other. Mm-hmm. Like that. Community is the, yeah. That was it. Yeah. Now Max is a very selfish character throughout the movie, even up to the end. Like he's not doing the, he's not driving the semi because he's a hero. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's driving the semi because he it's the only way he can get out of there. Yep. yep. And he's good at it. Yep. Like he's a good driver. And so he volunteers and he's beat to hell, but he's going to do it. But to me, the thing was like everything, every turn in this movie relied on you saying, but this is all we have is each other. Yeah. Everything else is gone. If we lose each other, then it's all gone. Right. Right. And that to me has really permeated my life. Mm. And this film helped bring that about at a very young age was the idea of, all we have is each other. Yeah. Like there's no greater meaning to anything other than now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. And and so, and it may sound sappy, but at the same time, that's, yeah, I guess that's one of the big things that it taught me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I don't know if that was the lesson it was going for. Uh, it could be, it could be. I, I mean, that's, it, it's in the text of the movie. I mean, it's not, that's not, it's not hidden and it's, it's the, you know, there's some question I have in terms of the, um, the movie is, is bookended by a, a voiceover of someone farther in the future. The feral kid. Well, they, they mentioned the feral kid. I think it's somebody else who's on the bus who's talking about, cause then, and he became our leader and talks about the feral kid. Yeah. He's, but he's, so no, he meant, cause he said, I, Oh, did he say I, yeah, he Oh, says I, I thought he was talking about, okay. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So, so the and feral I kid became the leader of the great Northern tribe. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, the, the, there's a, there's a, and that makes it feel there, – that lends a kind of mythic quality to it. The way the voiceover starts at the beginning, yeah. it's telling a story of you don't know how long ago it was, but a time right. ago when this when these events transpired and what that has meant to these people sort of moving forward. And um, we never see – we have to take his word for it because we never see where this where this caravan shows right. up at the end. We never see where where they get to, and it may all in in a way that he played really really beautifully with it in um, Fury Road. It may all be a mirage. I mean, we yeah. don't know where it, the movie is not interested in answering the question of is the coast what they think it is when they right. get there. You know, um, but but there's but there's something in terms of uh, the the it the those that sort of framing device that voiceover elevates the story to some kind of mythic territory in a way that I think is very useful to the sort of, uh, to this idea of the community and the stories we tell of the things that bind us together. The story of, of the story we tell to each other of who we are and how we got here yeah. is part of what makes like the, the whole thing worth living. Right. And yeah. I, I think that's that. I, so I think, I think the, that reading holds up from the movie. And that was, you know, that was a big thing for me in, uh, high school and college really was sort of fighting with that mm. and trying to figure that out. And as I've gotten older, gotten much more comfortable with it. And, um, it can be frustrating, especially in 2017, 2018, <laughs> um, when we're not treating each other very well, but it is, I don't know. It, it's a movie that even though there is no hope yeah. in that, that movie, yeah. there is a a sweetness mm-hmm. to many of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, even the naive ones, even the the you know the, the even the naive characters who don't really quite understand the gravity mm-hmm. of what's going on. And I love that Max is very like very much like no, you're not going to survive. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to make it. You, you can't do that. The odds are you, clear to him. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and you believe him. Yeah, like, yeah. You believe he's been out there and that he's made it. But it is, to me, it's about like, yeah, I do want to preserve this. Yeah. I want to preserve these people. They, they're they not bad people. They're just trying. Yeah, yeah. They're just trying to get by. Yeah. And so that was a big thing for me. Yeah. So those two things, really. So so how does how does it feel to watch the movie now? Like, do you... Do you 
can you separate it from the nostalgia at all? Does, or do you have different feelings than you did as a kid? I can actually. Um, cause there's a lot now that I watch that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, we need to talk about, uh, undercranking. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. <laughs> there's undercranking and overcranking. Overcranking results in slow motion. Undercranking results in fast motion. And in the 1980s, this was common. I would I would say more so in the 80s than even the 70s. Feels like it to me, but I yeah yeah I don't know why this became a thing, uh, but it did. It's in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like the lens flare of the 80s. Yeah, sixteen <laughs> seventies is the lens flare. Then you get the yeah. Yep, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and it's basically, you can tell it was used to try to speed up some action scenes that were clearly dangerous mm-hmm. with people in them, the, like cars running really close to people. So they would speed up the film stock and it would make it appear as though things were moving faster. Right. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Ironically, or coincidentally, I don't know what those words mean. Um <laughs> It's used in Fury Road, uh-huh. and it is some of the stuff in Fury Road I don't like. Uh-huh. Like, there's a, the the point at which Tom Hardy is trying to escape at the beginning. There's mm-hmm. a lot of undercranking mm-hmm. used, and I, I just it's not something I like. It feels very fake to yeah, me. Yeah, artificial again. Yeah, yeah it feels yeah, very yeah. artificial, yeah. and so. Uh, and not psychological. It doesn't always feel psychological. Like like not mo- slow motion can sometimes be uh, can be motivated by psychology, and it feels like. The fast motion isn't as it feels like it, it feels cheaper. In some yeah, way. it feels cheaper. It feels like a tool yeah, <laughs> that yeah. they are using poorly. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a bit of that in here. There's not too much, but there when it does happen, you're like, oh, whoa, okay. That's yeah. clearly that's been sped up. Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit of the budgetary stuff. You can see that they didn't have a lot. I don't care so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it. it the budgetary stuff specifically, I don't really care about because I am from frame one, uh-huh. the introduction of Max alone. Uh, so they have this backstory that they go through, which is catching you up on the war that happened. Very, you know, it's very vague. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> um, kind of stock footage yes, of stock armies footage. and disasters of, of. And then oil pumping and like, yeah. and that's about it. And then we pull back on the screaming blower from that interceptor yeah, the, his yeah, car yeah which is the greatest movie car in history <laughs> i will hear nothing different um Back i love that the future be damned i uh, love that car <laughs> uh it it also that's another thing it also inspired this movie really inspired my love of muscle cars mm-hmm. uh from that era and man that and it's funny too because like it was cool then then it wasn't cool for about 20 years yeah. and now it's now cool, it's cool again. again yeah yeah, yeah so i like i'm watching it and i'm but like the filmmaking works so well yeah. That I'm in it and I don't care that some of it looks silly and and uh, the costumes are, you know, not 100% great. But I also love that the characters that inhabit those mm-hmm. costumes are really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to me, it, it, there is still some nostalgia there. But more than anything, I think I'm just taken by the filmmaking mm-hmm. prowess that is on. And I love seeing filmmaking prowess on a low budget film. Like, I think it's. I don't know if it's I I really do wonder if it's easier or harder to showcase what a great filmmaker a person is, depending on budget. Interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah, because Kubrick got better with budget. Yeah. Yeah. Like as his budgets increased to a certain point, his movies got better. Yeah. And and more campuses get bigger and he's able to sort of stretch the experiments farther. And yeah. But that's not true of everybody. I don't think that's true of Spielberg. Yeah. I I think that his early work is phenomenal. Yeah, Yeah. 
and then really his later work has has just sort of fallen into and i th- i think the same for zemeckis actually that it's fallen into a lot of computer generated stuff and uh sort of forgetting what i would argue for bridge of spies but i but i know i oh, know okay. what you yeah, mean okay yeah i mean yeah, i think I bridge of spies i think munich yeah, um, yeah. i think i think he still has the yeah, ability right right um right. but i think he shines when he's working with actors yeah. uh and and, and right. like and lenses and <laughs> and like stuff like people. that and yeah, people yeah yeah. yeah yeah so uh but for this like i mean for me there is nostalgia there. I don't feel like it's clouding too much yeah. um, because I still think it is an absolutely thrilling action adventure mm-hmm. film that is impeccably made for what they had and tells a really powerful story. Yeah. Very simply. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. So well, the thing we're always, um, you know, trying trying to go for, right, is simple but complex. The story yeah. is very simple, but sort of psychologically or sociologically or whatever that there's the, narratively even that, that there can be some complexity. One th- question, another question I had for you is, how did this movie, since you saw this as a young man, yeah, and, and a kid, <laughs> I guess, and then and watched it a lot, how did this movie influence or inform your ideas about masculinity? This is a really good question. I thought about this as I was watching it. Um, I was really uh, bullied in school and I was very, uh, very much an outcast, mm-hmm. especially through junior high. Once I got into high school, there were an, it, I went to a very small junior high. Mm-hmm. And so once I got into high school, it became less. Mm-hmm. And then in college, everything was great. Like that was my experience. But so when I was watching this, I already felt like a bit of a loner. Uh, even at like, you know, fifth grade, sure. fourth grade, like I, I already that, that I feel like for a lot of people, fourth grade is when bullying starts, yeah, yeah. Um, at least for our generation. Our, right, right. Um, and so for me, I identified with Max because he's I don't know if it was masculinity because uh-huh. there isn't. One of the things we, we aren't talking about here is how copied this film was mm-hmm. like this film was. <laughs> This film, and then I believe something like Escape from New York, just so many mm-hmm. horrible copies yeah. made. And they didn't learn, like they didn't Not understand. The right lessons, yeah. yeah, they didn't understand <laughs> what these films were doing. And one of the scenes that is difficult to talk about, but it is still important, is there is a rape sequence in this film mm-hmm. that is very uncomfortable mm-hmm. on purpose. Like mm-hmm. it is purposefully uncomfortable, sad. Uh, but it informs the world mm-hmm. and it informs you about character because while it's happening, our characters are watching through spy glasses. Our main, our two main characters at that point are watching through right. spy glasses right. and you see their reactions. Max has no reaction. Yep, yep, yep. He's just trying to find where's the gas. Yep. Where's, where's, how do I get down he's there? Calculating. He's, he's calculating. He's calculating. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah. the gyro captain yep. who he's kidnapped, yeah. um, the camera pushes in on him and you see his face sink yeah, yeah, yeah. as, as he's watching yep. this. And that is an incredible thing to show an audience, especially in 1982, mm-hmm. 1981, 1982. Um, and then what a lot of the copiers did was realize, oh, we can use rape yep, yep, yep. to have nudity right, right. in our film. Right. And that's the wrong yep. lesson. And that's not what this movie is doing. No, yep. no, not at all. The context is very important yep, in yep. this film. Um but there isn't a lot of sexuality mm-hmm. in this film. I don't find and there is some, and there's some that's hinted at, but like Max himself is not a sexualized character mm-hmm. and he is not driven by any type of sexuality or even uh camaraderie like mm. he's there is no he is stripped he has been stripped 
bear by, yes. by whatever the events are, either of his life or the sort of broader of this world. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's no mistake that, you know, the leaders are both men. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the protagonist is a man. The main antagonist is a man who might have a homosexual relationship. Right. Um, which I found fascinating that's where i got a little watching it with 2018 eyes a little well, squicky that there, yeah. it's, there seems to be a heteronormative culture in the but to the good guys and some uh i didn't think of that very good you know, point. yeah the bad guys have there's some some same-sex relationships and they're wearing kind of like leather bdsm yeah yeah so, so there, there's a which was again not an uncommon thing in the 80s for sort of post-apocalyptic and also like gang culture yeah. like I, i'm not i'm not sort of a but, but I so I felt just a little. I just felt a little. No, maybe you painting have a with a kind of a really good point. I didn't think of that, and I think that is. Um, there was another film that we talked about where that was similar. I can't, yeah, remember, I can't remember what, what it was. was. But I remember having. Yeah, we we had this conversation yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that uh, is true here. Yeah. That yeah, I didn't. I did. It not felt more it. of the time, sort of unthinking of the time. Again, I don't want to cut them too much slack because we. You know, but but I think as as you know, made today. <laughs> which he sort of got a chance to do. Yeah. Some of that stuff changes. And I think that's, Oh yeah. To the, to the, for story. sure. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, given the opportunity, he changed it yep. and that's yep. great. Right. Um, right. And so, but yeah, there's um, the, so I, I don't know. I mean, this definitely, definitely equates masculinity and violence. Yeah. Right. And that, I definitely had that rub off on me mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I even in Victor, Victor Victoria, mm-hmm. there is that. Oh yeah. Um, there's a sequence where James Garner in order to, yeah, yeah. in order to feel like a man, yep. Yep, yep. he goes to a pub and insults people so he can get into a fight Right. like that. It, it's very much of the time, yep. but it is unfortunate yep. that yep. that was a right. thing. Um, I mean, even, Toddy, I think, in Victor Victoria, part of his thing is like, the, you know, he's not afraid to have violence. He's mm-hmm. not afraid to beat people up. Right, right. Um, you know, and I, I do understand that violence is a part of our world, uh, but I don't think, I, I think the, the 1970s and 80s in particular really tied violence to masculinity yeah, yeah. in a and, way that and, is and, very unhealthy. Cinematic shorthand, too. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, there's some sort of explanation for it that way too but yeah yeah so i i mean i i don't i I don't deny that that yeah is definitely a part of it i took more away from this film the loner yeah um the loner person who just needed himself and his dog yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like yeah um also really cute dog in this movie such a good dog was a rescue dog oh really yeah it was a rescue dog um that they just went down to try to find a dog that wow. would respond to them. And they found this dog that they found out they could make it look at things by just holding up a, a ball or a huh, pebble huh, huh. and it would just follow. So that's how they it's got it. Great. Work. The performance of the dog is great. And the dog curling would, up on the floor, the oh, car, the, the trucks. Or what, there's a part they, it's laying on its back. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. just relaxing. Right, uh, right. And there's a lot to tie the dog and Max uh-huh, um, uh-huh. together. He wears a red bandana on his arm. The dog wears a red bandana yeah. around its neck. They're both mangy strays yep, yep, yep um originally in the script i think the dog was supposed to be missing a limb uh huh, and huh. because max is yeah, limping yeah. you know and had his leg destroyed in the first movie um so there's a lot there but also just a, a wonderful 
character in that dog. Yep. Um, yep. And gives him a companion. You, you, it's the thing that I think shades him just enough towards some, yeah. some sense of community that it's not just the, I think it would be a harder watch if it was, if he did not have some sort of tie to another being. And I yes. think that that's, I think that's, that's, that tells us something about something he's still holding on to about his previous sort of life. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, and I love dogs. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. I love that that dog was in there. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, there's definitely violence attached to masculinity. But for me, it was all about the loner guy with the big, loud muscle car. <laughs> and there are different kinds of men in the movie. I mean, it's not and and, and who all ha- different people have to hear moments at different times doing different things. Yeah, that's and true. The, the women that are present because there are not a lot of women in the movie, but those that are are um, uh, have survived in this world. And yeah. I think that that's and that's clear. That and they they're are, different. Yeah. They're not they're from not, one another. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're unique. Um, uh, Victoria Hay, is that her name? I think um, plays the she's only credited as Warrior Woman, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, she's a wonderful, stern yeah. face. Yeah. Uh, she was in a show called uh, Farscape uh, for a long oh, time. Oh, she was so familiar to me. Yeah. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. She played uh, the blue bald uh-huh, woman. Huh. I can't remember. Zan. Yeah. Very Zan. striking. Yeah, yeah. Very striking. Um, and, you know, she's you know, more typical sort of masculinized mm-hmm. uh, woman. But then you have the woman who has the puppy. Right. Um, right. Who seems very naive, but at the same time, she's survived. Yeah. yeah. And she has a lot of good points yep, at yep. times. Yeah, she was very. Yes. Yes. She could say, let's think about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, at the end, she could have run away. Yeah. yeah. Like the gyro exactly. captain exactly. offers to take her away. And she's like, no, I'm staying. I'm, I'm doing this. Committing to the, yes, to the people. Committing to saying. the community, yeah. which yeah. also draws the gyro captain yep. back yep. to community. So right. I think there's a lot there. I think it is of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, you know, I, I hate to use that as an excuse, but at the same time, it's like, well, well that's an explanation. It as is an explanation. explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously when he came back to do it again, he changed yeah. that. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it affected my yeah. views on masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a, I don't know. I, I, I Would you say this is a healthier film than a lot of the Schwarzenegger stuff? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I, I think so. But part, if, if for no other reason than it is, as we've said, committing to its premise and not making a joke about some of the stuff that is of its time, you know, they're, they're yeah. not, the, 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 the sexual assault isn't a joke. They're not making sort of. Um, uh, it's also not a call to action. Right, right. This is not what motivates our hero to right. go forward. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, it's not a it's not a plot point in that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I think I think it's more um, it's more thoughtful than than yeah. a lot of that stuff. Yeah. As yeah. you say, it's got it's got a lot more on its mind. My last question is: Do, do you know if the we, at the beginning after we see the sort of uh, fall of the world stuff, mm-hmm. we see some shots of what I assume is the first Mad Max movie? Yes. Is that what that is? Yes. In order to catch us up? Like it gives us his backstory in a way. Yeah. In a way that feels like, oh, look, we're going to condense the previous movie into like so you know, 10 I seconds. So I didn't know this was a sequel when I saw it. <laughs> I thought this was just a standalone movie. And then at some point, I don't know when, the movie came on television, Mad Max, the first oh, movie. okay, yeah, yeah. Came on television and I was like, what? <laughs> and it bears little resemblance uh-huh. to this film uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um it's a much more it's much more of a drama the first mad max film there are some action Ooh. set pieces for sure but it is much more a drama about this cop who is just being pushed to the edge huh, huh. 
and society is falling like you can feel it all around which i love i love that's one thing i love about the original mad max is we are just on the edge of society collapsing yeah there's still society yeah yeah but it's collapsing (laughs) yeah yeah and you can feel it oh man i wish i could take that these days yeah uh yeah it's (laughs) it's tough yeah yeah. and i think that's one of the reasons that uh i struggle with the mad max movies now is i'm like i don't want to i just want to watch comedy (laughs) (laughs) um that's so interesting, though. That's yeah, interesting. they pulled from that. That was Mel Gibson's first big thing yeah. uh, in Australia, really. Yeah, and he wasn't even supposed to be be the lead in there. It was a, huh, uh, huh. another character. It was a different um, character, Steve something. Huh. Uh, but he, yeah, they they had him audition, and he was great. Got that role, and it sort of catapulted from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, they use just a couple clips, and if yeah. you if you look it's, at him, you're like, he looks young. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he did. It does work though. It does work because you can you can watch this as a standalone. I mean, when I, when I first saw it, I'd never seen. I mean, I still haven't seen the first one, and it it operates as a perfectly well on its own. I I feel like you should treat yourself to yeah. the first one. It's yeah. it's a, a very interesting low budget film. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? No, no, that's that's all all the notes I had. I I was really glad to have a chance to watch the, this because I I don't I would not have been pushed to watch it another <laughs> way, and now I will watch it again sometime before too long because it's. It's a it's a great movie. Excellent. I agree. I'm really glad that I got to see Victor Victoria. It's not a film that I would have yeah. just <laughs> put on, but went home, slapped it on, and was just like, well, this is a lovely yeah. little treat that I get to watch. So um, let us know. You can find us on Twitter at RealBadPod. Um, Tobin, where can people find you? They can find me at Tobin Addington on Twitter. And uh, also I podcast with my sister, a show called The Contenders, about films directed by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. You can find us on Twitter at Contenders underscore pod. Excellent. Uh, let us know if you like this format, if you'd like to hear us occasionally talk about movies that don't suck. Because um, I'd like to talk we, about Because we like it. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice break. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're part of the Cage Club uh, podcast network. You can go over to cageclub.me to find more like The Contenders or Winona Forever. Um, and uh, yeah, check them out. And until the next time, and I don't know what's coming up next, but until it's a mystery. Until next time, this has been Real Bad, Real Good Nostalgia. Nostalgia.